Making everyone happy on vacation isn't easy, but you know what is? Going to Aruba. All you have to do is walk out your door to find pristine pools, relaxing white sand beaches, and an island teeming with outdoor activities that'll put a smile on any face. You won't just feel great, you'll all feel great, filled with a calmer, more peaceful vibe that radiates Aruba's warmth. And the best part is, it never fades. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your family trip at aruba.com. The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, June 3rd, the Quiet as a Mouse edition. I'm Jamila Lemieux, a writer, contributor to Slate's Care and Feeding Parenting column, and mom to Naima, who is eight and we live in L.A. I'm Elizabeth Newcamp. I write the homeschool and family travel blog, Dutch Dutch Goose. I'm the mom to three littles, Henry, who's nine, Oliver, who's seven, and Teddy, who's four, and we live in Colorado Springs. And I am Isaac Butler. I am a writer and the co-host of Slate's Working Podcast, the father of Iris, age six, and we all live in Brooklyn, New York. Thank you for joining us again, Isaac. It's always great to have you on the show. Always a pleasure to be here. Today, we're going to be counseling a family who's got new downstairs neighbors. And not even 24 hours after moving in, these new neighbors have already sent a potentially passive-aggressive note about their little boy's noise level. What to do, what to do. Then we'll be answering a question about a little girl who wants to quit soccer. Her parents have her sitting on the bench for a few games, but is that the best way to teach a kid about commitment? And on Slate Plus, we'll be debating if this slower pace of life will stick around after the pandemic or if we're going to be signing our kids up for all of the activities to make up for lost time. But first, triumphs and fails. Isaac, what do you have for us on your triumphant, hopefully, return to the show? I have a triumph, I think, but it is not a solo triumph by any means, which is that, you know, vaccination rates are going pretty well here in New York City and COVID rates are going down. And we have sort of uh, in as safe a way as we feel comfortable with, given that Iris is six and can't get vaccinated. We're we're like starting to do normal life stuff again. You know, mm-hmm. like we took her to the Metropolitan Museum of Art. We went to a masked party in a friend's backyard and had pizza and she jumped on a trampoline and stuff like that. And it just feels totally great. It feels so fucking good. And it is a, a, a real triumph to be able to do all of that stuff. I feel like uh, a collective one um, that I hope our listeners are beginning to experience or, or will experience soon. Absolutely. I feel a little bit of triumph every day that I'm able to see somebody uh, outside of my home, (laughs) especially without a mask on. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I say this recording, you know, within an 18 inch by 18 inch space in my bedroom, uh, speaking into this microphone that is hung off a piece of furniture on a boom stand. You know, it's, it's nice to get out. It is very nice to get out. I absolutely understand. It's nice to be back kind of real world and getting the kids back out too. Totally. And you know, it's been gradual because again, it's like she can't get vaccinated so she can still get sick. And you know, we were so emphatic about wearing a mask everywhere, which was a good thing, but there's a little bit of, you know, germophobia that's, that's resulted, you know, because of that. And so, you know, negotiating how to ease back in in a way that's going to make all three of us comfortable has been a process, but it's been working out. That is great to hear. Isaac, what about you, Elizabeth? Triumph or fail? So I have a triumph. We have 
fully moved into our house for the most part. The movers came on Friday and it was like total chaos and just boxes coming into the house and trying to find like a way to feel settled because we've basically been out of the house for over a, a month now living in kind of different hotels and traveling here and being with my parents a little bit. So when I was setting up the kids' rooms, like I have a tendency to just like manage everything like this goes here, put this here. But since they're a little bit older and I wanted them to really feel some ownership over this house. And so I put out like, uh, you know, their furniture was kind of set what was going into the room. But like we put out all the pictures and all the books as we were unpacking and gave them little bags and let them like go go shopping within our stuff to set up their rooms. And they made some really like surprising fun decisions. Like Henry chose a bunch of like more artistic prints or art that we have around the house to put in his room. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, as opposed to some of like the, the more kiddo prints that we had had in the past and they chose like really fun books to stock their own shelves. And it was just a nice way to let them take some ownership, like without the chaos of like us all trying to go to a store or shop online, like that instant gratification. And I don't know, it was just really fun, like watching them set up and then um, choosing where to hang things and all of that. So we had a good time kind of setting up a little store and 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 letting them get settled. So their rooms are kind of all set up and then the rest of the house is still a bit of a disaster. But I think they're feeling settled and that was kind of the goal. Your ability to make literally anything a fun family activity is unmatched, <laughs> Elizabeth. <laughs> well, thanks for, you know, I think sometimes when we're when we're moving around and there's so much chaos, I'm trying to think like, well, how can I how can I make this be fun? And who doesn't love shopping, right? But you have to be okay with the crazy decisions, you know, like when your kid wants the framed print that, or the, fr- you know, that painting that usually goes in the living room, I had to be like, okay, cool. <laughs> right. Yeah, I was going to say, no one claimed uh, your wedding photo for the <laughs> for their nightstand. <laughs> there were any other awkward selections that put you in a weird position. No, but I mean, um, you know, I it gave me a real glimpse at which children are the most narcissistic, like which took all the pictures of themselves <laughs> to put in their room <laughs> and who took kind of other things. <laughs> that is wonderful. Well, congratulations on getting settled. That is a triumph uh, all itself. And I'm glad that the kids are having fun participating in uh, moving into your new place. Uh, I have a triumph this week as well. I think I may have mentioned that my mother is in town for about a month. I asked her to come. Uh, I guess maybe I invited her almost two months ago. I was just like, look, I I can't do this anymore. I need some help. The Zoom school thing was a complete disaster for me. I just did not have the capacity to work and supervise Naima. While she was in virtual class and some kids are really good at self-management for that stuff. And my child will be doing anything, but she'll have other tabs open. She'll be drawing. She'll just be spaced out. Like she needs someone there to keep an eye on her. Um, and the teacher was doing the best she could, but you know, it kind of fell on the adult who was in the house, who was me. And I was usually trying to hide in the closet and like make a podcast. So 
Anyway, um, I asked my mother to come, but then right when she's getting ready to come, we decide to send her back to in-person school. Like uh, all the parents were vaccinated. Things just kind of changed a little bit. There were only a handful of kids from her class going back. She ends up in in-person school. And so I didn't, I was kind of like, ah, you know, I mean, it's great having grandma here, but you know, the thing that we'd really needed, like we didn't actually, you know, like I didn't have to bring her here this long. I just kind of, you know, moved everybody's schedule around for this or whatever. And so then uh, Naima ended up staying here a couple of days and doing school with my mother watching. And like for the first time in the entire school year and every day since then, she has played Roblox with her classmates. Naima has like completely rejected all until she got into the physical classroom. Like she was not doing any sort of social interaction with the other kids. Like I'd say, why don't you talk to them during lunch? Why don't you play games with them during breaks? I don't like the games they're playing. I don't want to talk to them. And like somehow just a few days of like having grandma here, holding her hand through class and keeping her focused. She's like exchanging phone numbers with kids. Like she has bonded with her classmates. So that is, I I guess the combination of returning to in-person school where there's like three of them in the class and then this. Uh, the triumph is that my daughter is like socializing with kids again. So as Isaac was saying, this slowly uh, reopening world has a a whole lot of triumph for us all right about now. That's awesome. And your mom is her favorite. So she just needed that that boost. (laughs) That is true. She is the like favorite person in the entire world. She went to her dad's house for a couple days and then she came back here last night and I went downstairs to get her and she gave me a hug and oh hi mommy and you know (laughs) very chipper and like when she gets into the apartment she (laughs) falls in my mother's arms as if she'd just gotten back from like sailing across the world you know like by herself. (laughs) <laughs> it, it was so dramatic and like she like stepped back for a minute and they talked and then she just fell into her arms again like she just couldn't believe that she was really there so yeah she she's doing great with her favorite person so really my triumph was bringing my mother to california um, that's all i had to do to make this kid happy hey you asked for what you need you know and it and yes. it worked it's amazing it absolutely worked i am very grateful yeah. Before we get into anything else, let's handle some business. Hey, if you haven't already, what are you doing? Subscribe to the show. It won't cost you anything and the episodes will appear in your podcast app every Thursday. And hey, if you'd like to hear our show without any ads and with a bonus segment on every episode, sign up for Slate Plus. Today, we'll be discussing the parts of our pandemic schedule we'd like to stick around and, uh, how things might change for our kids' extracurricular plans when the pandemic comes to an end, if it comes to an end. Here's a sneak peek of what you'll hear if you have Slate Plus. I really hope that as we're reconsidering things like uh, work and how work works and whether you need to leave your home, whether that meeting could have been an email or whatever, you know, just like we're reexamining that stuff. I, I hope we'll do something similar with how we treat our children's free time and allowing them to have more of it. Not only will you get fun segments like that, but you'll even get bonus episodes of shows like Slow Burn and Big Mood, Little Mood and unlimited reading on the Slate website. As you know, we couldn't do the show without the support of Slate Plus members. It's only a dollar for the first month, and we'd really love for you to join us over there. So to sign up, go to slate.com backslash mom and dad plus. 
Slate's parenting newsletter is the best place to be notified about all of our parenting content, including mom and dad are fighting, care and feeding, and so much more. It's also a very lovely email in your inbox each week from Dan Qua. Sign up at slate.com backslash parenting email. Finally, check us out on Facebook. Just search for Slate Parenting. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, Everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Now let's hear our first listener question being read by the fabulous Shasha Leonard. Hi, Mom and Dad. We have two boys aged five and one. They don't walk. They jump or run. They pretend to be ninjas. They have no off button. And yes, they can be loud when they play. I let my kids be kids and raise them Dutch style, which is my home country. We moved into a condo three weeks ago. It's a two-floor house divided into four units. We are on the top floor. Two units are owned by lovely, quiet, single ladies in their 40s, and the downstairs neighbors are of the boomer generation and have no kids. When moving in, we knocked on all doors and introduced ourselves, but the downstairs neighbors weren't home for several weeks. Then, one late afternoon, we heard noises downstairs and realized that the neighbors were home. My husband and I agreed to go downstairs to introduce ourselves the next morning. Before we could, my husband went for a bike ride in the morning, and when he came back home, our downstairs neighbor opened the front door and said, with no introduction or niceties, So, you must be the new upstairs neighbors. You have kids. I imagine a little boy. Now we love kids, but followed by him complaining about our kids. He then proceeded to ask questions such as, do you have carpets and rugs? Where are they? This was less than 24 hours after they came home, and he was visibly bothered by his new little neighbors. My husband didn't even know how to react. He tried to be polite, excused himself from the conversation, and came home in utter disbelief. Two hours later, we left our apartment, and we found a bottle of wine with a note that read, Welcome to the Cloister. We will be leaving for a couple of weeks so your child can be a child as much as he desires. Best to both of you. <laughs> How do I react? I don't want to start off on the wrong foot, but I also would love to make it clear that they've crossed a boundary and I do not appreciate their passive aggressiveness. P.S. I would love to rub it in that I am actually pregnant with baby number three and this is the new normal because the chaos will not die down anytime soon. So, Elizabeth, I'd love to hear from you first, Mama 3, and also <laughs> uh, make mention of the fact that this letter comes from someone that you know. Yes, yes, I do actually know who wrote this letter, and congratulations on the new baby. I'm very excited about that. I guess I feel like overall in this situation, like, yes, the 
letter and the interaction maybe feels like very passive aggressive, but the overall thing that you want is harmony in this building. Like you guys are all going to have to live together. I'm just a big fan of the like kill them with kindness. I think I would probably have the kids draw them a nice picture and write a little note saying, you know, like, thanks for the welcome. Um, we know our kids are are really rambunctious. We're obviously doing what we can, but kids will be kids kind of thing. Um, you are going to have to make some accommodations uh, for, f- you know, for other people living in this building and you having children. But I also think that it's okay to to have the kids be kids and try to be polite to them. Like, as long as they're not like, you know, jumping on the floor in a way that is inappropriate. Like, you know where those lines are and making sure that they learn to live in this situation as well. Like they have to understand that they're part of this community. But I think also like if during reason, like during daytime hours, your kids are being kids and your baby is crying and those sort of things that that's life. And there's nothing you can do about that. But I think resist the urge to like go pick a fight with these people, even if their initial reaction to you was not the kindest. I think the best path forward is for you to be kind. I mean, if it were me, I'd probably make a big show of every time I'm coming into the building too, being like, shh, kids, you know, um, other people live here. Even if then once the door shut, we didn't do anything else. <laughs> like I would have this like performative aspect, you know, to say kind of like, I understand that I live in this community. What do you guys think? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I feel like part of living in an apartment building and raising kids in an apartment building is being considerate to your neighbors and teaching them how to do that. And that's true. Even if you're Dutch and have sons. Um, and so, you know, like the downstairs neighbors were obviously themselves inconsiderate about it, a little rude, a little weirdly passive aggressive, this sort of like weird preemptive strike before the kids have done anything to be like, well, they better not make any noise. So like, like, they're the, the the downstairs neighbors are the reason why this has started off on a bad foot, but it doesn't have to continue on a on a bad foot. And their interest in not having really loud noise all the time directly above them is a legitimate one, just like a neighbor who played a loud stereo all the time. You wouldn't necessarily want that while your kids are going to bed, you know. Um, and so I think it's about trying to figure out what the reasonable accommodations are here. Uh, uh, Elizabeth, you listed a whole bunch of them. Like there's a difference between making noise during the day and making noise at night, for example, Mm -hmm. or you might want to put down rugs because it'll make your downstairs neighbors uh, uh, lives easier. And you might've found a really nice one, but I have a feeling given this interaction that, this is probably going to come to a head at some point. They may, in fact, have an unreasonable expectation of silence. Uh, And if that's the case, um, you know, if you've tried to accommodate them in a few ways, you can politely but firmly say like, hey, these are the things we're doing, but there's not much more we can do about it and that they have to make their peace with it. I think that's very fair, Isaac. And I I think, um, letter writer, you have to understand that for these people, by default, you are a nightmare. You are the worst (laughs) possible neighbors that a pair of boomers do not dream of, especially when they've been in a building with two 40-something women without children. 
this is a worst case scenario for them. And that's okay. And that doesn't mean something is wrong with your family or that your kids are bad. It just means that this is not an ideal situation for anyone involved, right? Like you would prefer to live uh, above people that could let your kids make noise all hours of the night or however you see fit. These people would prefer to live uh, beneath people that are quiet and don't have a bunch of children running around. Of course, you should and, and will going forward take some steps to be mindful of your neighbors, but also like don't forget how annoying this must be for them and that it's okay for them to be annoyed. It's not okay for them to be jerks. It's not okay for them to be mean to you all. They They absolutely should be understanding of your situation too, but Put yourself in their shoes and and try to, I guess, proceed with some empathy. I wouldn't want to live beneath you either. That isn't, you know, I mean, shit. Yeah, Yeah. no, no, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You got three kids, girl. Even people with kids, right? I don't want to live beneath me. Like, I try, you know, I try to keep Naima's steps quiet. But, you know, <laughs> I, as someone who was, I was a child of a single mom. There were just two girls in the house, just me and her in the house. And I had a neighbor downstairs that constantly complained about me stomping. So I I, I get it. it. It's not hard to make noise. And maybe you, you have creaky floors, too. But, yeah, it has to suck to live beneath you. Yeah, I mean, like I have an upstairs neighbor who 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 paces and smokes cigars, and that's a nightmare. Oh, I mean, gosh. I like him; he's a nice guy. I'm not going to tell him to stop. You know, it's it's fine. It is just part of the like living with other people in an apartment building problem. It's just it's always going to be an issue, and figuring out how to negotiate it, you know, with kindness but without sacrificing too much of your children's well-being or killing their spirit or whatever like that's that's a complicated thing but it's not impossible like it can be done absolutely although also you know dan Coyce is not here but he did explain in his book the the polder consensus model of figuring out problems so i wonder if the solution uh, uh is to get the entire congressional district that this person lives in um, together <laughs> to negotiate an ideal children's volume level um, using a consensus model. And then everyone will just abide by that. Elizabeth, you, you lived in the Netherlands. What do you think of my solution? I think the thing in the Netherlands is that uh, everyone would just air their grievance right there. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like as the, the, adult said basically like i don't like this living situation you would be like well it is what it is and then everyone would walk away <laughs> you know, feeling like they aired their grievance but i i think too the netherlands is like values children being children so although everybody lives on top of each other and in these kind of tight you, you know houses built into the same building there's a lot of noise and everyone just kind of accepts that so long as that noise doesn't continue in the evening um but they call it like the sounds of life like they say oh i like this building there's lots of sounds of life uh they don't expect their living place to be quiet it is just about calibrating like what what is a reasonable expectation here for all parties and then trying to reach that which can be hard if there's a lot of passive aggression and 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 ill will right off the bat yeah do you guys feel like the bottle of wine is a kindness or a passive aggressive? Like I a little bit wonder if they felt bad about the conversation that they had with her husband or the way that her husband reacted. And so the wine was a, was kind of a way to make up for that. 
That is actually how yep. I read it. I read it as them being like, oh, we fucked that up. That did not go well. Let's make a self-deprecating joke about how we don't want to allow their kids to do anything. Do you know what I mean? Like it felt a bit like textbook people who have trouble saying I'm sorry. And so like, like what their apologies look Mm -hmm. like, because they did not actually say I'm sorry. Right. But they like came close to acknowledging that they were being a little crazy. And so that's how it read to me. I agree. Yeah. And then the letter writer is so angry. She's taking it as like condescending, but I actually think, you know, usually a bottle of wine is a, isn't, isn't I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Unless they're really rich. I mean, that would be like, a, that's a real rich person's way to say fuck yeah. to someone. To be like, here is an 87 Chateau, some, 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 some. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Very exactly. true. But hopefully, I'm assuming, well, we, I don't know, because they do have this other place to go to. Because I was going to say, well, if they're so rich, they can get another apartment. But uh, we do know that they did essentially do that, at least for a few weeks. So... <laughs> Who knows? But I agree. I think that was a nice gesture. They realized that they were not the most pleasant. And it was a natural reaction to this very bad news. And I say this as someone who has seen, like, I know that when people, when I sat next to you on an airplane, when I had a six month old, that was bad news. It's okay. Right. It doesn't mean that we didn't belong there, you know, so don't feel bad about it. But, you know, they were blindsided with some bad news and they didn't handle it well. And hopefully they're going to just smooth things over and maybe stay gone all summer. Uh, Thank you so much for your letter. We love updates. And since you know, Elizabeth, uh, it should be very easy for you to get one to us. So we want to hear how this turns out. What happens when they come back home from their vacay? Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. On to our second listener question, read once again by the marvelous Shasha Leonard. Hi, I'm looking for a little advice and hopefully some solidarity. I have a four-year-old daughter who is very smart, even more strong-willed, and also extremely sensitive. This morning, she decided that she no longer liked playing soccer and did not want to go to her game. We are halfway through her first season and have three games left. I told her that was not an option and that we're going to keep going to soccer because we made a commitment to the team. If she didn't want to do soccer next season, that's fine, but we are finishing the games that we have left this year. After much protesting, crying, and screaming, we made a deal that she would go to the game, but I wouldn't force her to play. I was hoping she would change her mind when we were there, but of course, she didn't, and we spent the entire hour watching other kids play, which is just how I want to spend my Saturday. I made her sit with the team and apologized to the coach for not playing and told her we were going to the next two games. I want to teach her to keep her commitments. My husband feels she is acting like this lesson is not sinking in, but she's four. I don't really expect her to understand it at this point, but hope our actions teach her something in the long run. What should I do? What do you think, Isaac? 
Oy vey, I feel this letter writer's pain. You know, I, I feel like I was I was just there two years ago. That balance between, you know, keeping the the peace and and acknowledging what your child is saying they need on, on one side, because you don't want to make them miserable, but then also teaching them the right life lesson and modeling the right behavior or or whatever, it is just constant. And it's not gonna go away. Anytime soon. We're, we're going through this right now with Iris and practicing her guitar every night, you know? Um, and this is also made more complex by her only being four. You can't have a really in-depth conversation about what's going on and why she's turned against soccer. And you can't really work it out on that, on, on that kind of reasonable level. And also as you yourself note, the, the odds that she's like gonna, in a very literal way, understand the lesson you're trying to teach her here are, are probably pretty slim. So I don't mean to punt as the advice giver here because I, I, I feel your pain, but I actually think either decision is fine. I really do. I think you can can not go to the other games. You can go to the other games. Uh, the, the reason why I would lean towards the second is that you've told your daughter that that's what you're going to do. So, you know, you, you want to make it clear that if you tell her that something's going to happen or there's going to be a consequence that it's really going to happen. But beyond that, I, I think it's kind of fine. It's not like if you give in on this one thing, she's never going to hold a commitment again. You know what I I mean am i being too wishy-washy what do y'all think so i guess i'm curious why she wants to quit because with four-year-olds it seems to me like the answer could be as much as like they thought they were going to play ipad instead right or like somebody said something to them that they didn't like like an easy fix or, or they don't like the uniform or their socks so asking right. first like establishing what the issue is i also think it is okay to, to not push the commitment thing. Like, to me, a commitment is more about what happens to the teammates and the coach if you don't show up, not showing up and phoning it in. And so this lesson of like, we just show up and we sit there, I don't know is the lesson that, that you necessarily want to teach your four-year-old. Like, what you've told her is basically you tried something new and maybe let's say you've established that she like honestly hates, they hate soccer. Right. But that now says if you try something new and you hate it, you have to go anyway. And I think it really discourages this idea of trying things new and finding things that we don't like, and also excusing ourselves from, from doing things that we don't like, or that we don't find pleasure in that are pleasure activities. I think the lesson here is, is teaching how to exit those things, right? So absolutely. Um, one talk to the coach, because if you make this child go and now you are having the coach supervise them sitting there, but they don't want to play, like you've put that burden on somebody else instead of on yourself. And, and I think to talk about like, what are the ramifications? Like if you don't go, is there a chance that they can't play? They have to forfeit like that situation for commitment is very different. If that's the case, then yes, we have to show up because if we don't go, these other children don't get to play. 
right? That is the type of commitment we're trying to teach. But if you're one of, you know, 20 kids on this team and you being there or not being there makes zero difference, I think it's okay to say, all right, we are going to go together, tell the coach that we are not going to play anymore and this is why and this is how we exit in a in a way that makes sure that kind of all those things that we were committed to are covered. Like, did we have any other responsibilities? Do we need to turn them uniforms back in? Like, whatever those are doing those and closing that chapter. I just find that like, I grew up in like a, we are committed to this and we're going to do this. And I feel like I still face some of those ramifications and like, do I really want to try this? Cause what if I don't like it? And then I'm committed to this, you know, long-term thing, or even as adults, like exiting, not work responsibilities, but exiting these leisure activities or friendships or things like that because we've somehow made this commitment. I, I think it's okay to teach your kid, like, you didn't like this, you tried, thanks, here's how to get out of this in the right way, but also they're four. So, you know, four-year-olds are notoriously yeah. stubborn. And by the time you hear this, they may have decided that soccer is their most favorite thing in the whole wide world. I agree with so much of that, Elizabeth. I I also am a little bothered by the idea of teaching a kid that like, hey, if you try something new and you find that you don't like it, you just have to keep doing it. And that's what happens when you, that's what you get for trying. Um, <laughs> so next time, don't take an interest in something right. if you don't want to risk not liking it. You know, I am also curious to know, like, what sort of conversations were you having about soccer after the first four games, right? Like, was it that she was just kind of tolerating it? Did she go from enthusiastic to passive to I really don't like this? As Elizabeth said, four-year-olds tastes and, and manners and ideas change super quickly. So she could have a change of heart after one really fun game. But I think that one, you should do a little bit more of a check-in to see like what she's been feeling about soccer all along. Because it could have been that she never liked it and for some reason <laughs> didn't feel like she could tell you that. You know, like yeah. this, it, she might have she might have reached her boiling point. Like this could have been just too much. Where it's like, I just cannot keep this charade up any longer. I'm done with this sport. Um, and four is old enough to know that something is really not enjoyable to you. You know, I mean, I, I don't think that you have this vested interest in, you know, encouraging her to continue soccer because it's this important family tradition or something that you are really, you know, passionate about, but just that this was something she was doing and she doesn't really seem to like it. So, I would say, I guess I haven't answered the question. I'm like, I'm hearing everything that everyone said. <laughs> um, one, do not make her go to the games and watch. That sucks for everybody. You're just punishing yourself. Um, and it doesn't really make much of a point um, as much as it just kind of ruins everyone's Saturday. But I would say, you know, agree to her that you'll... If she's unclear when you talk to her about it, like if she gives you a very passionate, like, I've never liked it and this is why and I'm clear... You know, let it go. Move on. Cut your losses. You know, if she shows a glimmer of, you know, maybe I was just kind of having a crappy day or I had a crappy experience in soccer or, you know, maybe there's one person there who said something to her the last time she, you know, before all this happened. And that's what set her off. But get to the root of her beef with soccer and proceed from there. But I think it's totally fine to let her walk away from the team. They will make it without her. They'll be fine. But it's also fine that it's just two more weeks. Like, it's two more weeks. Who cares? Just go for two more weeks. Like, I mean, it's not like she's going to enroll her in soccer next semester either way or whatever. Like, I, I, I don't actually understand why it's such a big deal to go for two weeks. But I, I have a, a, a another question, which is, 
why are they playing games at four? Like <laughs> what, what, what soccer is this? Cause like Iris did soccer. I'm going to put that in heavy quotes because their soccer was like, we're stacking these cones. Cause the mayor told us we had to build buildings. <laughs> And then it was like, oh, no, there are cannonballs coming to knock down the buildings. And then they would kick the balls into the cones. And then isn't that what soccer is when you're four? I'm a little confused. It may be that this soccer program sucks. That's the that's the other yeah, thing. Yeah, like it's, it's too much for a four year old, right? Like if like who wants to stand around on the field and like hope the ball comes or that other thing that happens, which is just like the the huddle of children around the ball. Right. Like that's not fun either. <laughs> Yeah, I I had a friend who was like, because we were, he was, his kid was also in this soccer thing with Iris. And he was like, I want to go to this other one because they're like scrimmaging more. And I was like, they're three and a half. (laughs) What the hell? Like, like, they don't need to scrimmage at three and a half. They just need to like run around some cones, get some energy out. Never touch the ball with your hands. Yeah, the, I, yeah. Four should be like establishing general rules of the game. Like, there's a ball, there are two goals, and we use our feet. <laughs> it has be. This sounds so much more stressful than it should be for anything involving a four-year-old, <laughs> which is my reason for being like, "Fuck it, just run away." <laughs> but two weeks is not a long time. Like, she technically should be able to do this if this doesn't absolutely make her miserable. But if it's going to make you absolutely miserable to have to hear her scream about it. I still say cut your losses. This is one of the problems with disciplining kids that age is that the parents actually bear the brunt of whatever the disciplinary thing is like it, it, the blowback. Absolutely. is always much bigger. Whatever consequences you impose actually hurt the parents more. Literally the worst parents. It is okay to determine that the thing you said in the heat of the moment <laughs> was not the best decision like uh, you shouldn't be saddled with your bad punishment either i just think yes it's only two weeks but it is like like i don't know are these games an hour are they you know like what is the drive like do you have other kids like all of that should be taken taken into account you know but you know if they don't finish the season they don't get to go to the end of the year shindig or whatever either (laughs) that is the consequence Is is there regulation extra play at the end for yeah. all the time that the refs took to I think this will be your last yeah. grand opening, grand closing. Grand- <laughs> it also just occurred to me that there is the there is a difference in terms of teaching your child about commitment, which I do think is a it can be a valuable thing. But like there is a difference between whether or not your child ever asked to do soccer in the first place. Mm-hmm. If this is a thing that you signed them up for, they never committed to doing it. And so there is no lesson to be taught in forcing them to continue to do it. You thought they would like it. And then you're, you're making them do it more. If it is like, just to give an example from my own life, like Iris and her playing the guitar, which she actually enjoys. She just doesn't like the practicing part of it. She likes playing it. She likes the lesson. She likes the recitals. So mm-hmm. it's just figuring that part out. But she specifically asked us if we would sign her up for guitar lessons because she wanted to learn how to play. You know, and and that is a different, I think that is a different thing in terms of the kid and their agency and what they're agreeing to that I think creates different obligations than if it's something you signed them up for because you thought they'd like it. But I also think like four year olds can't even commit to lunch. Like they ask you for something and then you put it on their plate and they're like, I didn't order this. Like, (laughs) 
like, I don't actually want. Yeah, I don't actually want this. Is a thing that I've heard many times in my life. Um. Yeah, but I agree with you. I think like the the agency over this. I think is the important lesson is like, even if like, if Iris came to you and said, I don't, I don't like this anymore. This is no longer fun, right? You'd have a conversation with her. And if it turned out that it was, you would together figure out where that exit point is. Right. And I guess that is what I, I think the conversation at this point has to be also with the knowledge that they're four. So like, if in fact you have the conversation and the problem is soccer, like the problem is not anything else. It is the playing of the game of soccer and the way it is played at this kind of practice. I think it's okay to say, you know, thanks for trying. And I, you know, I'm sorry you didn't like this. Here's how we exit this in a, in a way that doesn't leave anyone hanging. I love that. I think uh letter writer, you've got a lot of great stuff to think about in, in this very crucial decision about whether this four-year-old will continue her professional sports career. Yeah. <laughs> and we look forward to hearing what you all decide ultimately. Uh, please feel free to send us an update. And fellow listeners, if you have a parenting conundrum that you would like for us to consider, send us a note at momanddad at slate.com, or you can do what this listener did, and you can post it to the Slate Parenting Group on Facebook. Before we get out of here, of course, we have recommendations. Elizabeth, what do you have for us this week? I have a simple recommendation. June 1st is the um, traditional like kind of start of summer reading, uh, which we love in this house. In fact, my nine-year-old woke up and was like, it's summer reading. Like, how do I log my book? So go sign your kids up for summer reading. They have them at, you know, all the libraries, but also bookstores. Um, there's even like old school Pizza Hut Book It is back for the summer. So go sign up for those and um, sign yourself up too, because it's always good to just have some motivation to try some new some new books and and read some different things and be reading with your kids. So um, I'm recommending summer reading. <laughs> Love that. What and Book It is back? Are you kidding me? I'm signing up right now. Book It is back. I mean, it, it's always been available for homeschoolers, but they ha they are doing it for summer reading this summer too. So you read your 20 minutes a day for 20 days, and you can earn a personal pan pizza. Just like like I don't know, Jamila, did you grow up with that? I, I grew up with that. So absolutely, you know. <laughs> 100. That was a very very special part of my childhood. As was sitting in pizza. I agree. Hut. It's like the best thing to share with the kids. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love that. Great, Elizabeth. What do you have, Isaac? I have a reading-related one, too. They're, they've been around for a long time, and they're well-known, so maybe many of our listeners will roll their eyes. But I'm going to recommend the Bob books, the early reading uh, book sets that help your kids uh, learn how to read. Iris uh, knows the basics of, of how to read, but was is very reluctant to claim that she is a reader or knows how to read or to kind of own that because she's not like amazing at it. Uh, yet. And um, I asked her teachers, you know, what can we do? Like, you know, I'll, she'll clearly be reading something and I'll ask her to read it out loud to me and she'll say, I, I don't know how to read. They said, get these Bob books. And you know what? 
it totally worked. They come in boxed sets of 12, you know, short books. They're like five sentences long with really crude drawings. Each one of them is doing some sound thing, you know, short vowels, long vowels, hard consonants, whatever, sight words, things like that. And um, they're really fun and they're not hard and the kids get an immediate sense of accomplishment from them. So I, I highly recommend if you have like a kindergartner who's putting reading together that you do a little extra practice with these old Bob books. Very nice. Sounds super helpful. So I also have a reading related recommendation, but it's for the grownups. I suck at self-promotion. I always have. I hate it. And if you've ever seen me post anything that I've done online, it was done with the deepest of shame. I blush in real life. Black girls blush. It's terrible, but I do need to let people know about stuff that I'm publishing and these things were about parenting. So I figured I should share them with you. So one, uh, I do contribute to the Karen Feeding Parenting column every week. Uh, in the show notes this week, I have my column from last week. Hopefully you're reading all things Karen Feeding. There's a wonderful roster of contributors that I'm very honored to be a part of. And um, I recently published a piece with Parents Magazine about my daughter seeing herself in Black role models and what that means to her. And one last month, or actually in April, on April 20th, for uh, 420 about weed and motherhood, Black single motherhood in particular. And I'm proud of them. So go on and read them if you haven't. Uh, Thank you so much if you have. We've got a link to them in the show notes. You should be proud of them. I love that you're promoting this. Thank you. I know Elizabeth always shares me on so much. I really appreciate that because I really do. It, it's hard for me to share. I know it's weird, uh, especially when you've had something like you've gone through the trouble of getting something published and it's like, oh, I have to tell people to go read it. That part is embarrassing, but <laughs> it is so mortifying Isn't to have it? to do it. It's so, yeah. you know, every single yeah. time, every single time. Uh, but nevertheless, she persisted. That's how much you love our listeners that you're willing to to be a little embarrassed to share these wonderful pieces. So everyone go click those links. Thank you. Thank you. And with that, that is our show. Thank you for listening. And one last time, if you have a question for us, send us an email to momanddadislate.com or post it to the Slate Parenting Facebook group, which you can find by just searching for Slate Parenting. Mom and Dad are Fighting is produced by Rosemary Belson. For Elizabeth Newcamp and Isaac Butler, I'm Jamila Lemieux. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.